You're in love. Have a beer. No, oh, my body is a temple. Well, now it's an amusement park. No, no, no. The glandular balance. Just shut up and drink it, would you? What track? Eight. Can't smile without you. I know. Yep, I'm gonna need a beer too. Well, you see, I love this song. And I can't smile or cry. I think I have no tear ducts. I wish father were here. He'd know what to tell you. Us. Hi, and welcome to Seriously Pointless Conversations About Culture. Your seriously pointless conversations about all your nerdy and geek things throughout the ages. Today, I have a very special guest on my show. It's not it's not our usual guest, James, or any of the other hosts we have. Uh, this gentleman comes from sunny California, and we actually met uh, online uh, via his uh, via me listening to his podcast that he does over there. Uh, we have Vito. How you doing, man? Doing great, doing great. Thanks for having me. Sure, awesome. So you guys actually, um, uh, we met uh, online, kind of exchanging some ideas a little bit on podcasts. Uh, so you actually have your own podcast, don't you? I do indeed, yeah. Uh, me and uh, two of my friends, uh, Mike and Jesse, we have our podcast. It's called Not Your Father's Movies. Um, in it, we discuss kind of the, the genre of dad movies. Uh, you know, I think probably the best way to put it is those movies that you might remember watching with your father, like on a Saturday afternoon, yeah. you know, time honored classics. We, we cover everything from, uh, we've done 12 angry men at this point. Uh, we've done lion King cause we're really not only trying to examine where we came from with our nostalgia. Mm -hmm. It's also about, you know, we, we're all dads, you know, you're a dad, David. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're here to try and like build that treasure trove, uh, for our kids going forward for them to remember us by. And I, I mean, you're doing the same thing with your show here. I know exactly what you're talking about. Actually, here, prime example, I was over at, uh, I picked my kid up and went over to my buddy's house for a little bit today and I turned on uh, Return of the Jedi. We've made it, I've made it all the way through <laughs> the first two with him, even though he may not know what's really going on. I turned sure. it on and the minute I started watching it, so his obsession with Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. um i don't know where it is my kid you, you, you could pick all the good guys you could put a pick could pick could have picked uh, simbo or anybody else but you picked darth vader a bad guy uh, <laughs> and he comes on the screen and immediately he starts he can't say darth vader yet but he says da 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 i'm like I'm, I'm kind of happy and proud of you at the same time but at the same time i'm a little worried that you're picking a, a bad guy to be your role model but but yeah like you're saying it's 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 i want to you want to try and uh either carry on the legacy of things that you think your kids are going to love. And hopefully you can, you know, spend a little time with them and do that. But yeah, that's, I know exactly what you're talking about, man. I mean, I'm sure your dad did the same thing with you. Just like my mind dad did sitting exactly. down watching. I'm sure, I don't know what kind of movies your dad was in, but my dad, man, it was war movies and sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the same, the same way. I mean, like, look, you know, my, my dad, my dad hails from, uh, from Massachusetts by way of Missouri and we settled in Wyoming. So like we, we have some, uh, kind of um midwest sensibilities here and my dad definitely was like yeah we're watching we're watching bad sci-fi and some good yeah. sci-fi sometimes <laughs> well you got to get that forbidden planet stuff in there every oh once of course you do because it's so it's so hokey looking and bad but it's just a classic kind of thing and i know yeah. exactly what you're talking about like my dad was really big into the old star trek like the tv oh, show. oh same same yeah dude 
so i remember watching those with him and i'm like i'm like i'm like does, does, is this does anybody like take this seriously because you can see like the actual like people in the costumes it looks so bad but i'm like that just holds memories for me man and i don't know how about you guys but it's 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 i love that kind of stuff just watching rewatching it over and over and over again i mean i can't i can't tell you like the number of times my dad made me watch and then eventually i joined him willingly maybe watch like star trek 2 wrath of khan you know because it's so stupid when you're a kid and you see it for the first time but then it's like you get a little bit older and you start to understand the ideas more you start to buy into it more there's a level of complexity uh, that only, you only get through rewatches and only with your dad who's like pointing stuff and saying, hey, you notice that? Hey, what about that thing? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. So if, if any of your listeners are interested in that at all, you know, you can find us uh, anywhere you find podcasts, not your father's podcast. Absolutely. So yeah, I love that. So real quick question before we get started on this. Sure. I know we haven't hit our topic yet. Um, Wrath of Khan or ta- time traveling whales? <laughs> 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 I, I, I'm here for Wrath of Khan. I, I like okay. time traveling whales, but I'm here for Wrath of Khan because there's something that's almost like transcendent and Shakespearean about oh, the, yeah. the level of conflict in Wrath of Khan. Yep. And there is something also that that's beautiful and and endearingly silly about the time travel whales or just about any of like the, the further on Star Treks because everyone knows Wrath of Khan. Undiscovered uh, country and all that. Exactly. Stuff. You're just, you're just yeah. like, oh, you went to see God or, or yeah. <laughs> quote unquote God. It's obviously he's not a very nice guy because he ends up right. killing people, but it's just like, well, it's just a red shirt, but it doesn't matter. Exactly. So it's just, it's just like, you know, what is going on here? But that, that's cool. At least, at least we're on the same page. So I was For I sure. started watch, rewatching all those again and I just looking at them like, my, wow, what were they smoking when they thought like, this was a good idea? So. Yeah, but I'm definitely here for like, uh, yeah, definitely a huge first contact fan and uh, next generation fan for sure. Got to go over the board. So (laughs) before we kind of slip down that rabbit hole, guys, not not your father's uh, movies. Like I said, go check them out. They are a great podcast. You guys just did one. I believe you didn't do your anticipated. um, You just came out with uh, what was the last? Top five. We did did top five. And then our last episode that we released as of this recording is either going to be uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or it's going to be Sunset Boulevard. I think it it was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's what it was. I saw posted. Yeah. Which is another great movie by Tarantino. I love, I love Tarantino. So you get a little blood in the guts. So same. Um, That's definitely like, like a new dad uh, staple for sure. Tarantino. I was thinking about telling my, I was like, I I was watching the other day and I was, I was watching uh, Reservoir Dogs, which is one of my favorite ones he's ever done. It's just, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I don't know. When can I let my kid watch this? I know. (laughs) I'm hoping that's going to be like uh, movies like those ones or, or something like Kill Bill is going to be there on Christmas break from college or something. And I go like, come, come here. Come here now. Now you are old enough. You're sitting there. You've, you've got a you've got a glass of bourbon sitting there. You're like you're a little bit tipsy. You're like you want to watch this with me. And you're just like you're old and gruff, and you just don't care anymore. And they're like, okay, dad. And they're exactly. like, yeah. and they're just like, this is the dumbest movie I've ever. Had. But they start to absorb it and they love it. So, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm hoping. Really, yeah. So so speaking of things that have like really affected us as our childhood, um, I'm going to talk about. Well, we're going to talk about one of my favorite uh, comic books of all time, which is is Hellboy. Um, mm. so kind of dipping our toe into that, in that medium, I know we're kind of both, I know we're, you're, you're a little bit more of a, a, a movie buff than I am, but I know we're both kind of, uh, dip our toes into the comic world a little bit. Absolutely. So let's start with, let me, let me hear where, about where you first got into the comic medium, Matt. Where did you, where did you dip your toe in? So I was definitely, um, I was a comic kid from, from a long time ago 
And uh, almost as long as I can remember, I, I have very distinct memories of, of going to the, the supermarket back in the 90s with my dad and, you know, the place where they would sell the like, you get your Dean Kuntz's, your Stephen King paperbacks, you yeah. get your John Grisham's <laughs> and they'd be there in a line, you know, $5 or whatever, I'd be in the Safeway and I'd be seeing uh, just, just the new single issue comics. And it was through the, through the big three of, of all time. It was Batman, Superman, Spider-Man and reading those. Yeah. yeah and it, it was a weird time too in the nineties looking back at when I got into the comics. Cause I was, I was sort of looking back at trying to find my childhood favorites. And this was a bizarre time for those three. Um, Superman gets split into two for like a year yep. and one is red and one is blue. Uh, Batman, Batman's hunting the predator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were, yeah. They were really, they were really stretching for some ideas in the night. And, and like Spider-Man has like a rough marriage. <laughs> like this is a really weird time. I'm like, this is kind of surreal that now that I look back on it, you're just like, man, I'm like, this is kind of like too close to home sometimes, you know, it's yes. just like, why is, Mar- why is he having an argument with Mary Jane? This, what is, are they going to, and then just Spider-Man gets a divorce. And, and then of course they get the whole nowadays one day more. And I'm just like, God, please don't, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Cause it's like, they, you know, we had this long spin up for, for so long where they, they went through different incarnations of different artists. And yep. it, the nineties was really this sort of, uh, milestone and, and a real marker for where the comic industry had to kind of um, understand itself and bring itself into a new place. And that's that's just where I came into it is, is then in that sort of maelstrom of confusion where like Marvel sells all of its characters because it's going to go bankrupt. And it, they go to all different studios and like they're still fighting that. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're trying to go back and they're trying to reallocate all these things. Luckily, DC didn't. Have, I'm more of a DC head. I know sure. that. But but I know, like, luckily, DC didn't have that big of a problem. Uh, they didn't sell off as many. They did a few small of them, uh, small people, uh, IPs here and there. But it wasn't to the extent that Marvel, like like you said, Marvel was in deep, deep shit for a while there. They were really oh, yeah. uh, kind of stretching there. But, yeah, that's I, I remember those uh, those days going to that supermarket, man. And mine was, do you remember the old uh, Archie uh, TMT or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics? I that's do. I that's what I was really into uh, back in the day. Um, nice. I, I even have some of those and just remember how goofy and dumb they are. Cause it's like, they're, I remember that they're not like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics that are like gritty and hardcore. And sure. they're like, actually people actually die in them of all things. The other ones are really very much uh, geared to like the kid audience with the cartoon. Cause that's like right about the time that cartoon, the cartoon uh, cartoon, if I could, talk correctly teenage mutant ninja turtles teenage mutant the the light pops up out of the the thing and then like the turtles transform and it's like a look like a pizza that swirls on it makes the the logo and i'm like i just wanted i my hat came off whenever i first saw that was like every saturday i don't know how are you if you were because we're roughly Mm -hmm. the same age but i don't like every saturday i was sitting there and i was just my glued to the screen i had i had the dolls I had yep. the little plushies. I had a the Teenage Turtle uh, suitcase. I had all yep. that stuff, man. No, I I, my- I I loved that that I my love for Teenage Mutant Turtles was the animated show, but that was um that was a little bit before me because it didn't last for long. Oh yeah. But yeah. but my love for it was I watched that live action first movie yeah. like a billion times. Like oh, I, yeah. I I like I like it so much. I saw it so much that I actually had to go find it as an adult, and I can only find the the full screen on one side disc mm-hmm. and the widescreen on the other side disc. Mm-hmm. And it came in like this like stupid little case. Um, I love that movie. That movie is bad, and all the ones that came after it are, are like objectively bad. But I still watch them. <laughs> so so here's a funny fact, a fun fact. I don't know if you ever know this, but you didn't know that Jim Henson actually worked on that. 
I did not, but now that you say that, I feel like a they like did. a Tetris effect. <laughs> yeah, they do all of the they do all of the they actually made the costumes for the turtles and they actually did all the um this is a little bit I think he he passed away before this, or a little bit either before or after this, but he his company, the Jim Henson company worked on, they did all the animatronics and they were like really big about making those costumes. I had to think I'm like and like you said, I'm looking at this thing and this film, I remember watching it and I'm like, who would watch this? But mm-hmm. I'm like, but I'm sitting there like you are, and I'm watching it over and over again. I'm like, this is such a bad movie. Like yes. the part where the, like the beginning part where they're fighting the guys in the, in the uh, the retail store, the underground, like uh-huh. by the subway, and they're just hiding by the by the uh, the, the mannequins, and they just pop in the car. Like, I'm like, what is this? This is great. I still remember this joke, and it was before I knew of any almost any of the words in this joke, but I remember it because. When I watched it, I used to like watch it uh, like my grandma's house or whatever. My grandma would be around. But it's when um, Casey Jones shows up for the first time in a hockey mask and everything. Yeah. And and they go, is that Wayne Gretzky? And then Mikey like pops in and goes, on steroids? <laughs> and my grandma like laughed from across the room. Yep. And ever since, like that joke was so indelible to me, even though I had no idea who Wayne Gretzky was because I was like five. And I also had no idea what Wayne Gretz- what steroids were because again, I'm like five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your, your grandma's like, it's medicine for adults. And you're like, no, no grandma, definitely not. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like saying that Mark McGuire wasn't on, on roids whenever he's doing the home run challenge. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Little jokes like that. And you're just like, oh. I, I love that kind of stuff. It's kind of like watching, running back and watching like the old Shrek movies and just seeing how yeah. like, absolutely dirty they were little yes. things here and there. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's, that's, that's great. I love that kind of stuff. So you, you said you were really into um, uh, mostly, were you mostly into like Superman, Batman or uh, Spider-Man? Did you have like a preference, like one of the big two, do you know? I, I've always I've always gravitated the most towards Batman, and I did have the I did have all three animated shows that I also watched, and they're all of you no know, great. Um, I think maybe Spider Man's a little bit lower on the quality scale, but that Bruce Tim Batman Superman two hand combo, but just how like gothic and and yep. dark and like kind of twisted and deeply human that Batman animated series was, yep. uh, really just just kind of bonded me to the Cape Crusader for forever. And I, I, I held that love for forever. And then even going forward, I think that love really kind of tied me to a lot of the, the comics I came to as an adult. Like, um, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but uh, looking around at my shelves and what I love is um, so definitely Sandman. I think there's clear parallels between Neil Absolutely. Gaiman and Batman. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love, uh, I, I love um, uh, Sandman. That's one of my favorite. Actually, they just did a um, they did an audio book rendition oh is that good it's very good it's on audible it's only it, i uh i picked it up because i was actually on my sister's recommendation which my sister is not she's not a nerd at all or if she is she's like a closet nerd a little bit she won't come <laughs> out and tell you but she actually like picked it up and she was just like oh this is really good because she she used to, she read new gods whenever it was neil gaiman whenever it came out a while ago sure and she like picked it up and, and she said, hey, you should check this out because she was like, I know you like Sandman. Said, I had no idea they had put it on Audible and I had picked it up, listened to it. It's really good. It's got uh, James McAvoy is actually the narrator. Oh, I love him. He's amazing job at doing it. They do. They cover everything. They cover everything from him being trapped all the way up to the Corinthian. And it's just. Oh, wow. Yeah, they do a lot of stuff and they do even do like a little bitty uh, short snippets kind of like they did in the comics where they did like, you know, the one where um, Shakespeare does the play. Yeah, and the yeah, fairies yeah. show up. They do that in there, and it's and it's great. It's 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 
they do all the high notes and they definitely keep they 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 pick and choose what you, what they what they want in there but they do hit a lot of the high notes in there which is it was perfect enough for me which made me kind of super psyched for the tv series that they're they're trying to push through i know i i really don't know like talk about a a plagued production right absolutely like, I, I, do you remember when this was supposed to be a movie starring uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Do, yeah, do you remember like, that? <laughs> it was right after he starred in uh, the Batman movie. Was it Batman, Dark, Man, yeah. Dark Knight Rises? Dark Knight Rises, he, yeah. He was supposed to be in that. Uh, he, they, he, he's like posting on stuff. It's like, you know, you know, uh, uh, in talks to be Morpheus in, in the new Sandman movie. And then it just like poof, disappeared. And I'm just like, where did you go? But I actually yeah. think, it'll do, I think it'll do a lot better, honestly. Hopefully if they, if they can get it off the ground as a, as a, uh, as a TV series. So. I agree. I, I agree. I think that that's especially, you know, considering our, our current subject as well, that yeah. is that, that that's where that's where it needs to go. And for Sandman, I mean, I'm looking at the three volumes on my shelf and it's bigger than four King's James Bibles slapped together end to end. You know, yeah. uh, there's just a lot of material. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, it, it's it's really great. And right now, I think comics are really thriving on that small Absolutely. screen. And talking about those independent comics, especially even if, even under the Vertigo label, which like Sandman was, you mm-hmm. can you can uh, kind of jump over and see the originators of those independent comics, which are like Dark Horse and Image. Mm-hmm. Um, Dark Horse even more so than Image because Dark Horse sure. has been around since early '80s, late '70s, early '80s, I think. Yeah, so it was. Um, and and it was kind of bizarre that I kind of stumbled uh, into it, kind of like I did with Sandman. So the way I, I kind of fell into uh, the Hellboy series kind of wrapping around to our topic. It's it's I, I stepped into that Constantine Sandman world of vertigo. and I was like, Oh, these are really cool. I'm like, wonder if there's anything else really like this out there. Um, and I actually uh, fell into Mike Mignola's cosmic odyssey, which is, is it, it's his analog of the new God. It's, it's his analog of the, um, it's not the new gods. It's the Eternals on the Marvel side. Oh, okay. And the new gods, which is what they're both Jack Kirby creations. So mm-hmm. it's funny. So Jack Kirby made the Eternals on one side, on the Marvel side, and Marvel's like, this isn't going to go anywhere, and they basically shelved it. Sure. And so he's like, screw you guys. I don't know if you know anything about Jack Kirby, but he's a very prolific uh, illustrator for for Marvel and DC. Yeah. Known to work like seven day weeks, working like twelve hour days, just constantly. Man had an amazing work ethic. And he, so he jumps over to DC and he makes these new gods. And so you get things like, that's where you get like dark side, um, uh, Orion, people like that. And he just mm-hmm. makes this whole world. It just flows from his brain. But Magnolia basically did that comic based on these. And I was like, Oh, who's this? I love the art style. It, even then he had that kind of that negative. He was very good about using that negative space. Um, to try to make you uh, really focus on the picture that he had uh, painted in front of you or drawn in front of you. And and after finding him, I ended up kind of gravitating, finding my way towards his uh, his creator own comic, which was on the D- on the Dark Horse ki- side, which was Hellboy, actually. So I mm. think the first one I ever picked up of his was um, The Wolves of St. August, which I actually just got done rereading it. I've heard um, of it. I've never read it. How is it? It's very good. So... The whole premise is that um, Hellboy goes to this little uh, town where uh, a church is abandoned, and it's like apparently the, the the royal family that had been there back in the olden times had been accused of being werewolves, and apparently all of them had been sh- like the villagers had had uh, 
risen up and basically locked them in 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 their their uh, their castle and their and their catacombs and burnt them alive essentially and sure. murdered them as so, you do. Yeah, I mean, I'm because that's the most logical thing to do, right? So, uh, uh, so they get in there, and he he starts searching around, and obviously finds out there's one there's one family member left that's been alive for all these hundreds of years, and it's kind of one of those things. It's he, he you he ends up you know defeating the the villain, puts him to rest, but like afterwards, the town is just completely and utterly deserted because he had killed the the beast had killed everybody in the town before Hellboy and everybody showed up. So it's a little bit one of his darker ones. It's actually one of his first Hellboy comics he writes after uh, Seed of Destruction, which is the initial comic mm-hmm. in the series. So have, sure. you read any of the, have you read any of his stuff at all or uh, the Hellboy stuff? Or how far have you gotten into it? I, I've gotten into, so I have uh, the first two omnibuses, um, the first two out of four yep. um, that don't include the additional uh, BPRD miniseries run you you can get so they it's it's i love that's why i love uh magnolia because he's definitely and i love comic writers because a lot of them are very much uh mythology writers of our time like he's got so after his success of the hellboy series he was like i want to explore these bprd characters he has a bprd series he has an abe sapien series right Um, right i remember seeing that and I'm trying to think of what else he has. He had I feel like he had one. like a small little bit with Roger the homunculus. Yeah. Tiny, did, did, was tiny there some? Bit. Yeah. He does one on Roger. Um, he does another one that's kind of loosely connected with the BPRD universe. It's called uh, Sledgehammer 44. It's Oh yeah. I've seen that around. He does all these really random things. Like he's even got one where it's loosely tied to the Hellboy universe. Um, it's, uh, oh, it, he's the witch finder. It's he's, um, oh. I don't remember his name. Uh, it's like, uh, a lot of characters. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, but he's basically he works for the British Crown, and he actually is like he actually appears in the Hellboy comic book at one point. He's a, he's dead obviously at this point, but he comes back as a ghost a little for like a tiny bit. Um, Edward Gray, that's who it was. Sir Edward wow, Gray. nice poll. Yeah, I do. I <laughs> you know this. I may not remember how to like do my taxes or anything, but I can remember comic book characters. You know, higher <laughs> sometimes. So um, every now and then. Yeah, but but I can but I can do trivia like a son of a bitch. So, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, so like he he pulls out all these little bitty characters that he has in these in these series, and he just explodes and he makes this enormous universe. And the simple fact that Dark Horse is willing to take gamble on him like that and just mm-hmm. really let him explore the universe that you could tell that he so badly wanted to like tell. It's it's just I love it to death, you know. Like I said, and if, if there's if this if there's one universe of comics that I will never stop buying, even after he stops making them, it's Magnolia Comics, and I just mm-hmm. love I love that universe that he was he's made and just the way it looks because he's starting to pull all these other comic artists and things like that in to help him draw because he's getting a little older and so he he's doing a lot more writing than drawing nowadays and he does yeah. kind of like the covers and stuff mostly nowadays so. Because it's it's such a distinct style, you know. Uh, you're oh, talking yeah. about uh, Kirby, or you want to talk about somebody like like Steve Ditko. Um, yeah. These these legendary artists. I mean, I think right now we have people like um, uh, what like Jock, who's working, who's I think is like oh. a really beautiful visual stylist. Yeah. Um, but in in a, in a way that's very separate from them, and it's actually a little bit more like like uh, like um, Ditko. Is that he has very clear, very clean images, you know, yeah. where it's very focused on the character. He he makes use of his panels in a very sparse 
very clear way. I keep saying clear, but it, it's hard to say, hard to express exactly how well he manages to pull your eye towards his character, uh, towards their action, towards their motion, and and really give you this. Background is not is not cluttered. It's not never. He doesn't he doesn't just shove things in there for for. But the minute being in, there are people that can do that kind of stuff, like Alex Ross. Yes super realistic and i love that too but mcneil almost takes it to the other extreme of alex ross and like i said with that negative space he can literally have an entire just black background around hellboy and just him standing on a rock holding a sword or something like that or he like he just killed a bad guy or something like that and you were just instantly drawn into him because the way he's able to create that he uses his use of negative space I don't know where he learned it from. I don't know. But if you watch some of his earlier work, he kind of has it in a little there a little bit, but you can tell he's kind of being hamstringed a little bit by yeah. editors and people like that. But he just goes 110% whenever he gets into his own on, on these comics. And I love that. And what's so cool about his characters too, is that and his unique way of modeling his characters, right? Is that yeah. they're, they're real goofy looking. They're real strange. They're, they're almost yeah. look like caricatures, right? They're, they're yeah. out of proportion in almost every way. I mean, and I think it's a little bit of a joke, right? I mean, you see young Hellboy and he's got, you know, his, his right, <laughs> his red right hand and it's yeah. fucking huge, right? Like, size. It never grows. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like this little tiny kid with an arm that's the size of his body. Uh, but it works. And then when Hellboy gets older, he's got this, this huge upper torso and then this, and these little bitty legs. He's like, click, 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 you know? I love that kind of, like, that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, you know, whenever he draws somebody, it's like the head is usually a little bit smaller than the rest of the body and mm-hmm. things like that. And like you said, it's very sharp, um, uh, straight edges, lots of straight yes. edges in his characters, not a lot of curves and things like that which Mm-mm. you you can almost i could literally if you give me uh eight paintings or ten paintings uh by, by a bunch of different guys i could literally and one of them is mignola i could tell you exactly which one mignola because it's so distinct on how he draws exactly and on top of that it's, he has a very distinct way of writing as well like talking about not being cluttered you can tell he's he's a little bit of a minimalist i can mm-hmm. tell especially in the way he writes and also in the way he draws especially when his writing like he he's not like some people like i love i love alan moore and neil gaiman to death sure neil gaiman is a lot better than neil, alan moore but alan moore like you said you like you get on watchmen it's like a page and a half sometimes it's like half the page is somebody talking giving exposition and but with mignola it can be literally like his earlier work he he, he does it a little bit more but as he goes on it's very a short and he's short. He, I think he's found out it's much better to show than it is to tell. It's an economy of storytelling, you know, it's, and I I think he's a, thank you. Yeah. He's, he's, he's very good at that. And Alan Moore has like this really hyper literate style where yes, you will see that whole page of one character just speaking. And then it's going to cut to like a a, a newsprint article that you're going to read for two pages. And then you're going to be back in the scene or like Neil Gaiman will, will, because he's such a, a, a poet at heart there's going to be so many descriptions and and deep insights to the character through metaphor and simile. And you're going to be sitting there going, yes, this is great. This is really deep, but yeah. what's happening. I don't get what's happening. It's just like Morpheus drifting on an endless space. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking this mouth like, man, you know, I would, I don't know what you took or where your brain was at today, <laughs> but I mean, like, I don't want to go anywhere near what you're, what, what you're dealing with because it's a whole other ballpark. But yeah, it was funny. You, you said that, 
on the uh, the the letters. So I have the the hard covers of the um, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen from mm-hmm. Alan Moore. And yeah. I, you were talking about uh, story or uh, articles. He literally has f- uh, faux newspaper articles that he draw he drew with the. Um, Dave, it's not Dave Gibbons because Dave Gibbons did V for Vendetta with him. I'm trying to remember who it was that did it with and, him. And Watchmen, I think, right? Dave Gibbons did Watchmen as well. Yeah, um, I don't remember. It's a, it's a, he's a different guy, though. Uh, it might yeah. come to me in a minute. But yeah, but he they literally sat up and they made these like faux paper or newspaper articles like with like dumb articles. It's like having problems with your husband, buy a pistol. And it's like stuff like that. <laughs> it's just like, I'm like, what is this? They're whole articles, but then they like you turn the page and it's literally an article from like the Daily Gazette about how you know uh, uh, mask you know mass vigilantes you know flying through the city are are large grotesque uh, monster man you know uh, terrorizes the room morgue you know it's things like that when they're looking for oh yeah Jekyll. I love that kind of stuff it's uh, he, it's Kevin O'Neill Kevin O'Neill that's who it was I couldn't remember whose name was for the life of that I'm glad you pulled that because I love his art style and that kind of stuff so yeah he's 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 kind of uh, a little bit like Mignola but he does a little bit more detail quite a bit more detail than actually than him so it's it's the 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 character models are are there's a similarity to them like he but of course he's he's he likes to treat just like uh, Mignola does when when he has to draw uh, Hellboy or Roger or Abe Sapien in a normal looking place. He's very good at, at making them really stand out. And I think Kevin O'Neill does the same sort of thing. And I think that might be some of the similarity you see. And so maybe, like I said, I don't know where they learned to do that, but it's really cool to watch them uh, kind of do that together. But yeah, that's that's what I, I kind of love about the Mignola verse. So um, kind of going a little bit, I know we're, we're diving deep into some comics here, but let's give a little backstory on uh, Hellboy. Uh, for people that don't know, because obviously we're familiar with the characters. So Hellboy is actually a fictional character uh, created by writer and artist Mike Mignola. Um, character first appeared in San Diego Comic-Con Comics number two in August of 93. Um, so originally he was uh, supposed to be part of a team of super, our supernatural uh like paranormal investigators is what the, the idea that he had behind it for what Mignola had it behind behind it as well but um i think he figured out after he kind of talked with um another one of his uh buddies uh it was another another comic uh writer that basically said you i would just make hellboy just the main character and everybody else be supporting characters which i think that worked out great and he's actually credited i believe on seed of destruction mm-hmm. um i can't remember his name of her life i mean either i'm i'm being awful with names tonight but but there's he, a lot of people we're talking about <laughs> no absolutely and he he ends up uh ends up making this uh one shot with uh not heel boy hell boy that'd be great if i could spell right um yeah. he, ends up ma- <laughs> he ends up making this uh uh character uh, and, and pitches it to, to dark horse and they're like yeah, you know we'll try it and they put them out they put them out dark horse presents um and that's the film i don't need the film why do i get the film um <laughs> uh it's gonna be down here eventually i'm got a lot of dead space here uh Come on. Do, 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 yeah, do, I know. I, I'm putting some dead space here. Thanks for the music. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I need to feel better about myself. Uh, John Byne. Don, By, Byron. Byrne? John Byrne. So, John, uh, John Byrne? John Byrne. So he is actually another uh, uh, writer, 
uh, for he does a lot of DC stuff. So he actually met, if I remember correctly, he actually met uh, Magnolia at DC. But if you go back, uh, he did a lot of the Flash, Green Lantern stuff, uh, Justice League. John Byrne is a pretty prolific uh, comic writer. Um, not a lot of big stuff, um, but he did. He worked for DC for years and years and years. So he definitely knew what he was talking about with this kind of stuff. So the, the original idea, like I said, was for have D, for to have Hellboy come in and be a paranormal investigator with all these supporting uh, uh, writers. And I think... Magnolia kind of knew what he wanted to do with Hellboy initially, you know, make him make him a son of a, of a demon and kind of have him um, be kind of the instrument for destruction of the world. That's, sure. that's the whole outline. And I don't think he a hundred percent knew what he wanted to do or how he wanted to do that initially when he created him. Um, I just remember he said, I remember a couple of times, if you ever look at the original drawings from, uh, of him of Hellboy, like the original ones, it doesn't. He doesn't even have the the right hand of Doom. He kind of like adds that after the fact, and kind of it, makes it the uh, the what's the word I'm looking for? His um, Machina, oh yeah, a little bit. So yeah, it, it's very much. Uh, it, it's it's such a cool idea. It's actually something. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that that whole parallel, like his beginning, that origin story, as is laid out in the first Hellboy movie, pretty well. Um, not in the reboot, um, but in the first Hellboy movie, pretty well. We, we don't uh, speak about the reboot. <laughs> we'll not speak until a little bit later on when we yeah, yeah. have to. Uh, but my my wife never was interested in Hellboy. Like she saw the poster and it's like stupid superhero nonsense bullshit, which is fair uh, because it's it's a bunch of different colored objects that are kind of like people that have guns and are like <laughs> in shadow standing with their back to the camera. Uh, so what does this make? What makes this different than exactly every other movie you watch? Uh, and it's something porn, sweetheart. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's something that my, my dad uh, really gravitated to. My dad loves comic book movies. He doesn't read comic books, but he loved Hellboy uh, from a very right from the outset. As soon as he saw that first movie, because this idea of essentially an ant, the antichrist, yeah. is born to bring about like the ending of the world. He's the apocalypse bringer. He's the, the reigner of hellfire. He's and Anun Raman. Anun on Rama, baby. Yeah. What if that guy didn't want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, that is just atypical talking about that. Like in the story, there's so many points in, in the, the universe where Hellboy is like, they're like the demons come up for like, like you are the bringer, you are the destroyer of the worlds. And he's just like, fuck you. And he like breaks his horns off and he gives him the finger yep. and he's like, I'm done. I'm going to do my own thing. You know? Exactly. And that's, that's the whole, that is his, the essence of his character is just like, you don't have to be what people tell you you are. That's yeah. What I love well, about it. Honestly, who, who cares about fate, right? There's, yeah. there is no fate, right? No, it, no. There's only what you make. If, if there was fate, this world would be super boring. Super boring. <laughs> I say, I like to leave it up to chance sometimes, and or maybe even just hard work sometimes. You know, it's, it's exactly it's, it, 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 that's what I love about it. And I think it's it's I think Magnolia almost poured his heart and soul into this because so many people told him that you know I think he he tried to kind of branch out on his own a couple times with uh, creator own stuff, and like he didn't really make it, so he had to go back to DC a couple times. I remember that. And people are, would always, you know, they're putting him down a little bit probably. And he was kind of like, well, screw you guys. And one finally hits and it's like a, it's like a gold mine. Yeah. And it's like, he really like centralizes his feelings towards 
mainstream like comic book executives that say you have to do things this is a formula we have to do it this way and he's like no 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 i don't, I don't have to do that yeah i don't yeah. have to do it. i'm gonna do it my way That's yeah I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna show you we're gonna tell a story about the the son of a demon and a woman who sacrificed herself to have this child and is taken down into hell and ripped apart by flame. Yep. And then he is this, this, this uh, relic grafted onto his arm and says, you are the bringer of the apocalypse. And he says, no, I'd actually rather do the X files, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go figure out the, the crazy stuff that's going on in this world. And, and it's actually really cool is like, eventually like he, he kind of almost steps out of that even a little bit too, mm -hmm. but he still has all these weird uh, can interconnected things with him a little bit, but, but so how do you think the kind of, I know, cause I know the comics are the, the movies more of your realm. How do you think the, the movie kind of translates as a kind of origin story? How do you, how do you, how do you feel about it? I like that first movie uh, pretty well as an origin story. It's, um, it, it's not, it's not the best movie. It, it, it has definitely has a lot of flaws inside of it, but that's not actually the fault of the story. The story is very strong. Yeah. It is in a, a little bit of the way they, they tell it that Guillermo del Toro chose to, to do this. It, it feels kind of clunky. And I think in interviews that I read with del Toro, when he talks about the making of the movie, he did mean that clunkiness on purpose. So it's hard to fault someone for doing exactly what they set out to do, except to say that I don't like it particularly. Um, yeah. But I like a lot of that first movie. I like a lot of the practical effects. I like that we have this hulking guy in what's almost like a red spray painted um, body armor that you'd get yeah. for like a martial art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, yeah, I love I love all that. And then just showing like it's 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 Rasputin and he's summoning this demon to bring about what he thinks is going to be this golden age for the demonic and the occult. And uh, he's stopped by Professor Broom. And his his cadre, um, Lobster Johnson is present in a different iteration. Uh, yes, he is. <laughs> but uh, in this first movie, he's not. And they take him out and they say, all right, we're going to give you another shot. Let's train you. Let's let's see what you can do. Um, here's a Snickers or, or a Baby Ruth, right? Yeah. Baby um, Ruth. yeah. yeah. And so I remember yeah. later on, you go into his bedroom and it's just Baby Ruth rappers. <laughs> So. <laughs> right. Uh, so I think it functions really well. I think it's a very engaging, weird kind of movie, but I think it's very in line with the kinds of weird origin movies that we've been getting to this point. I mean, um, most of the superhero movies that we've been getting were origin stories that didn't get a chance. Uh, Del Toro is the rare one who comes off of Blade and right into Hellboy. And those are two of the weirdest heroes. Really um, yeah. Like one... Blade is such an R-rated movie and such Absolutely. an R-rated story. It's like, it's, so is Hellboy, but Hellboy is is less interested in the viscera, right? Yeah. And Blade is a much more, it's mostly hacking people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, I mean, what do you, you can't, you can't, you know, fault him for that because that's, that's the whole point of him. Kill vampires, vampire bad. You vampire know, bad. I am part vampire, but vampires suck. Yeah. Uh, and that's bad. <laughs> but then you also have stuff like Spawn, right? Uh, which yeah. is such a, a strange character that gets a movie. I mean, can you imagine in this day and age spawn getting a full wide release movie? They're starting. They're actually talking they've about been, it. They've been talking about it for years. McFarlane is, is he really wants to get another one going. He actually was in talks with, uh, I think he jumped through a couple studios. It's just like some random like indie studio that's looking at him right now. So I don't even know if they'll do it. So if he gets if he gets the opportunity, man, I will be there. But I also know that that McFarlane 
he's been talking about another Spawn movie since the first Spawn movie. <laughs> he talks a big game. I'll give him that. So, but that, that is that is his that is his number one goal is to be image the image hype man, and he thinks sure. I guess is it's his it's his uh, IP. So I can understand it. It's his money maker. So. Yeah, he's he's got a fight for it. It's his baby, right? Just like just like Mignola. I mean, even even on that faded. Uh, new Hellboy reboot you know Mignola was we tried to be as involved as he could um and was you know maybe not allowed to have that that touch but he definitely has that touch in this Hellboy and it I think that Hellboy to the Golden Army is a little bit more del Toro's movie Mm -hmm. but this first Hellboy looks and feels a lot like a Mignola cartoon um so that's that's the nice thing I like about these first two movies is that Mignola is so involved in writing the screenplays and even being on set and giving uh, Del Toro advice in the third movie, he's non-existent. It's like he takes a step back from it. I don't know if it's because he's just older and he doesn't want to deal with it, but you can see Mignola and Del Toro all over these two movies. And I, that's what I love about him to death because it's just, I can watch it. It's, it's not like watching a Hellboy comic come to life, but it's about as close as I could probably hope. Honestly. Yes. Yes. It, it, it's hard to see like where, where one stops and the other begins. Right. Because yeah. uh, they both have a, a, a very dry sense of humor. Um, they both are, are goofy. They like their weird things and the weird things are just so present. And I like that the second movie is about Irish elves and golden golems. Like that's <laughs> really funny. And it's, yeah. it's cool too. Cause it's an expansion of Mignola's work, but it's, it's new. It's different. Um, so they, that's what the that's that's the one thing I like about the second movie. It's complete. It's it's completely new screenplay. It's not really based off any of the the actual uh, 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 material that he's written before. As opposed to like with the first one, it's like Seed of Destruction um, and the 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 drowned. Uh, I think it's the drowning, and then there's the the, the corpse. Uh, I think those are those are the three main ones that it's based off of. But the second one, it's Magnola and I believe it was it was Magnola and and um, Del Toro sat down and like just pounded out that script, if I remember correctly. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I'm not speaking out of turn because I don't want to offend the Hellboy gods, but I believe that's wrong. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. Okay, well, you hang know, on. If what you what you know matters the most, I believe <laughs> I'm correct. Not the internet. I'm not, if the internet thinks I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. But you, you, sir. I'm, I'm not here for the internet. I'm not talking to the internet. I'm talking to uh, to you. Um, no, and that, that's, that's I think, the real strength of those two movies is that it, it's a perfect marriage of creator and material. It is. Uh, so actually, the screenplay, they, the, Del Toro is credited as the screenplay writer, but it says story by Del Toro and Mike Vignola. So, yeah. Nice. So. So yeah, that, that that is that's that's what I thought there. But and, but the cool thing is uh, on that they were able to get. Um, not only were they able to uh, kind of up the budget a little bit on the second one. Sure. Sorry for the for the mess up, guys. For a little cut in uh, in in the audio, we had a little bit of some technical difficulties, as is the world that we deal with. So um, on our end, guys. So we were talking about the origins of Hellboy, like on the first comics um, that he had. And um, we were kind of really kind of stepping in that seat of destruction area, which is what uh, uh, Del Toro really and and Mike Mignola really kind of crafted the first Hellboy movie over. Um, so after, like, so you said after, like, I, obviously we we start to get all these characters that he introduces in, in the in the first couple comics, but he really doesn't like ex, you know give us a huge 
long list of characters but once you kind of get more into the comics so like you said you were more towards uh the uh let's see you said conquer warm yeah so you're really close to have you met um oh the homunculus have you met roger yet it sounds familiar um i did drop off from reading it about a year ago uh but i think i think i've met roger i think so because that, because that's one of the ones where they they start to go through. They're going through a castle, and he finds like it just it looks like a lifeless body there, and he like touches it, or Liz touches a little bit of uh, touches it, and her spark, her fire, yeah. as it were. And you learn a lot about more a lot about that later on in the BPR series. Which if you like, if you want to get a complete picture of the of the Magnolia universe, obvious as it is with all authors. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta read all the junk and that's what the bad thing about this is but you find out that she has kind of like a, a fire a, a spark of like a, a elemental spark almost and that's kind of where you get roger from and he like zaps her from her and they end up finding out like they end up you know they can keep him alive with a battery and things like that but but like throughout the whole series i think that um mcniola does a very excellent job of building a cast of characters around hellboy to really support him and you get, like I said, you got you know the ape sapien, ape sapien, Liz, uh, Roger, Jonah Krause. Yeah, I don't think you've met Krause yet, have you? He's in the second movie, though. Yeah, so. I think that's why I know the, the name from. It's the it's yeah. the head, right in the in the bubble or the in the. Yeah, he's, the ecto, he's the ectoplasmic guy. He's basically yeah. just a spirit, and they have a little suit that contains him. Always, he'd float away. He was a uh, a um a medium, uh, back in uh, I think it was like the either either early 1900s germany or like early uh, or late 1800s germany i can't remember which one it was but but yeah they bring him in uh throughout the comics they actually bring in a uh doctor or captain uh uh, uh ben uh, i'm gonna say mispronounce his name horribly damio i mean he's he, i think he's oh the, uh, the cat the cat guy from the the reboot movie yeah so he's actually aware jaguars what he's supposed to be and in the comics they really so and I'll go into this a little bit more, but they, 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 he in the BPR series, uh, Magnola, you can tell that he did not want to sit there and try to explain or elaborate, elaborate on all these characters and really delve into their stories and expound on their characters in the Hellboy series. That's why he made, um, the BPRD series. So like, here's an example. I'll show you, like, I've got the, uh, the first couple. This is, so he literally takes, all this stuff and he just wow. i mean this is all this is the this is the end stuff that that's not even talking about like so folks at home just so you know uh david just pulled out what looks <laughs> like a phone book from 1992 but it's yeah, really just the bprd <laughs> if your kids know what phone books are <laughs> so, um i my parents will know but um if if it, it literally then this is the like this is the stuff where he's starting to wrap up the series and you get this beautiful art by Dave, Dave Stewart. I love Dave Stewart death, but, mm-hmm. and, um, and Jarna Cootie. Uh, but he, he starts to really focus. He focuses more on those characters, which like I said, you get to learn about more about Abe Sabian and Liz and Jonah and all these characters uh, that you think, you know, they, they feel like almost kind of like eh, characters in the Hellboy series. He really focuses on them in this series and kind of expounds on them a little bit more. But I think it would have been a disservice to try to do that or try to, you know, explain them in this series. Because like you said, I like, like, like I was saying earlier, it's, it's 
called Hellboy for a reason, a Hellboy series for a reason. Am I right? So I, I kind of wonder, like sometimes thinking about the BPRD and thinking about the really fun side characters, like uh, for for preparation for doing the show with you, I also watched the the two animated movies that came out on oh, Cartoon Network. Yeah, yeah. And so definitely, I liked uh, Blood and Iron a lot more than I like Storm of Swords or Sword of Storms, just yeah, because. I know, because I'm just thinking about Game of Thrones, so I don't know how to say that title correctly. Uh, but I definitely like that Blood and Iron, and I really enjoyed how they were tangential, but felt important. And it really made me kind of wonder, like, in this age of where you can't do movies, but you can do TV shows, like, yeah. why is Hellboy not a TV show? This would be perfect. This this would be the perfect medium for it. Have you been reading my thoughts while, <laughs> for the last two years of my life, pretty much? That's what I feel like you've been doing, because... That's why I tell people all the time. I was like, this, 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 this world is just primed to be a TV show. Yes. I mean, you can have an overarching, you can have a big overarching arch uh, uh, storyline for the whole thing, but you can have these little bitty episodic things in there because you've read, you said you've read the first two omnibuses. Yeah. His, this is Mag- Magnolia's style. He basically says, um, this week I'm going to do something that's Russian or this week I'm going to do something that's African folklore. Yeah. And it's like, and he does this all the time. And he does these little bitty, like either one shot issues or like maybe one to two or one to two, three mini, mini series issues. Very rarely does he go over like six issues. I think his longest series or mini series that he had in here of like story arc of, uh, uh, to try to do Hellboy stuff, it's like maybe six issues, right? Because he doesn't he doesn't like to pack a ton of stuff in 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 these comics, and, and much like Del Toro, I think he's very good at showing you visually what's going on without you know you know you know uh, verbal actually, di- verbal diarrhea essentially. It's one of the most striking things about his his comics is that he has so much kind of negative space in the panel. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. There's so little like like talk about Alan Moore for instance, you know, um he's such a hyper literate writer that even though the images that he crafts are striking, it's still surrounded by sometimes just three or four pages of just solid text where he's like, all right, I'm going to just tell you all this stuff. And Magnolia doesn't do that. It's very parsed out. It's very simple. The art is simple and beautiful and murky and gloomy. The atmosphere is perfect. And he tells you just enough so you know exactly why it is Hellboy is skipping along this dark corridor, you know? (laughs) <laughs> pretty much and how he's gonna say it and then when he gets to the du- end of the co- the corridor he's just like ah oh, damn it as something yeah. like jumps out and just like attacks him <laughs> I, that's the best part about this his i that's what i really connected with a little bit it's like you have all these like high high tootin kind of um philosophical people like there's this one i did literally just read it from the from the the second volume here uh hellboy goes to talk to the osiris club over in england because broomhold ted since well this is like back in like 1969 or something like that and he's basically like, go talk to them. They've got a problem going on there with like a, a dragon or whatever. And he goes over there and they're like, they're like, oh, it has been foretold, you know, that you have that a savior shall come, blah, blah. And he goes like, cool. That's what he just says in one word. <laughs> cool. And they're like, will you do this quest for us? He's like, uh, I'll try. It's just like, it's just like, it's just like, I don't give a shit, man. Just give me the sword. I'm going to go yeah. kill this thing. Yeah. I love, he's just kind of a no nonsense, kind of like Joe. Well, I mean, he's he's like, he's like 500 years old, you know, like yeah, he, I mean, he, he really, didn't time for this shit. Yeah. It's just like, really, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I got, I got pancakes to go eat, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but the yeah, stuff I enjoy in my life, you know, this exactly. is like keeping me from that. Which is another great comment. I don't know if you, have you, have you read the little comment, the, the pancakes comic at all? 
I don't know if I have. I don't know. It's Russ. great. If, I don't want to ruin it for you because it's 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 literally two pages of com of, of just strips. He he made it up while he was at a comic con one time, and he's just like, what? He's like, what would make Hellboy? He 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 came around this idea of like, what would make Hellboy want to stay on Earth? And it's based on like when Hellboy is like he's like real little. He's just still living on the army base. And they're trying to feed them. It's great. And it's it surrounds pancakes. And I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. You, go check it out sometime. If you guys haven't seen it before, it's hilarious. It's like one of the few comics where it's just like, God, it's it's he's he because the 90% of the stuff that Mignola does is it's like dark and gloomy, like you said, like really Edgar Allan Poe. But this one, it's just it's kind of like, huh, that's a little bright, shiny happiness in the middle of all this nice. clue that he throws I, in there. But I like that. I, I, I think that. I've seen that humor just a little bit. You know, he has uh, Magnolia seems to have a very dry oh, sense of God. humor, but there's moments that, you know, he's goofy. And I think that that goofiness, I think he really found a kindred spirit in Del Toro. Like um, probably one of my favorite, uh, you know, end credit songs is what they use in Golden Army. And it, it it's that sort of, it's it's Can't Smile Without You by Barry Manilow. Oh my God. And it's, it's like right the goofiest, it was, it? yeah, it's the goofiest, the kind of, almost dumbest way to end your superhero epic about Irish elves and golem yeah. armies, but yeah. it's perfect just on, and it's a freeze frame on like Hellboy's smiling face. And you're like, what? <laughs> and, but I think that that moment in a lot of ways is exactly kind of who they both are. It's like, all right, we're going to close our movie with the pyromaniac pregnant with twins from the demon. And we're going to play Barry Manilow. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, that's not going to end well at all. You know, it's just like, I love the minute you said he, they freeze frame on his face. I remember he was just like, yeah. it's like that. It's like the, like the dumb, like what the hell's going on? And it's like, and it's just like a snapshot. And it just like goes in and starts playing. And now you say that I was just like, I just it flooded all back to him. And I was like, Oh my God, I totally blocked that out of my memory. And I'm just like, who, who puts that in there? And especially in a Hellboy, you're thinking it's going like, duh, 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 yeah. duh. but no, they're going to put Barry Manilow, which it's funny. I remember, you bring that out by my mom is a huge Barry Manilow fan. And she was sitting there watching that with me a while back. She was like, she starts singing along. And I was just like, what the hell? I was like, I had no, you know, you're, I was a little younger. And I was yeah. like, I have no idea who this guy is. And right. I was just like, I don't know his songs. My mom's singing along. I'm like, why are you singing along? She's like, that's Barry Manilow. It's and I'm Barry, like, it's, it's Barry F and Manilow. And honestly, I wish that we would go back a little bit more to this era of, of making these weird, like wild choices about these things and then just sticking by them and saying, yeah, we thought it was funny. We thought it fit and you watch it and it, it's, it's the exact right tone. Like it's like you, you hit a crystal glass and you hear that little tone rebounding back from it. You say, ah, perfection. Um, so talking about that, like I say, you said hitting that weird tone, they're kind of getting that a little bit like with, so I don't know if you've seen like uh, watch doom patrol at all or the boys at all. They, they have some that of the boys. little, they have it a little bit in there mm-hmm. and it'll it'll every once in a while they'll be like man you can tell that they're they want they want to try it but they're like man that first season they do it a little a couple times they do it a lot more in the fourth or in the second season but initially they were like man i don't we don't we don't know if this is going to be good or not you know like we don't know if i'm like you guys have you have carl urban in your film shut up <laughs> I was just like it's not going to go wrong the man is a he's a he's a national treasure okay leave him alone but uh, but it, it, I can tell that they're starting to kind of move back that way a little bit more with, like you said, they're they're trying to be a little bit more risky, goofy, as it were. 
and just I making think, things. I think one of the best fun. examples of that is is actually just Wonder Woman 1984. Like, I don't want to digress too far, oh, like, yeah. and and kick us into a whole other thing. But just to illustrate my point a little bit more, like, uh, there's been, of course, huge film Twitter backlash to this movie. Um, I think a lot of it's justified, but I, I don't think it works as a movie very well. But the stuff that does work, I think, works beautifully, and I, I just love that you have you just it's Gonzo, it's bizarre, it's it's the choice that you wouldn't make because we've been watching a decade of Marvel movies and we know how these movies are supposed to go. But yeah. if you think back to old stuff, like, like Batman returns um, or even, <laughs> even like the first blade, like this stuff is strange. This stuff is ethereal. It's otherworldly. It should, you should feel a little weird. Or even, even the first Batman where they're like, I'm going to put a Prince song right in the middle of this. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm going to have Prince do doing? an entire soundtrack album on Batman. And there's like, there's a whole Joker song in there. And you're like, what even is pop culture? And you go, that's right. Pop culture is supposed to be for weirdos. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's okay. <laughs> and, and you believe when you start to like watch these interviews with all the people, like especially Prince, I don't know. It was a really funny. You find out how weird these people are. There's a really great, um, interview with kevin smith he actually was supposed to do a um a, a documentary on prince oh, wow. and he he apparently he filmed like hours and hours of following prince around prince showed him a vault where he had like all of his like he's got thousands of hours of unrecorded music wow that he just he just makes it and he's like okay you know whatever but he like he's like okay man i got all my film everything i'm gonna edit it he made made the movie anything all the whole nine yards Send it to Prince for final cut, and he goes, oh, I don't want to release this." That's what Prince did. I was just like, "What?" He he, but he like he he financed the whole thing, man, like millions of dollars. Yeah, and you're just like to be that rich and just <laughs> that bizarre, yeah. man. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. I guess you got to have that kind of thing in that world that make that kind of stuff. But I, that's what I love about it. But it's it, it's definitely those first two movies. Definitely, like you said, they really kind of they really. Um, they strike a tone. I think that really kind of played off of my goofiness and my, in my dark sense of humor, but also like kind of like goofiness in the same time. And like you said, the whole series that like going into the comics, it just sets that tone the whole time. It's like, these are some serious moments. Like whenever you find out, like you said, you find out that uh, Hellboy is the son of a, essentially a witch that sold her soul to this devil. Right. uh, And she's trying to get back. Uh, She's trying to, she's, and he, he, and, he ends up coming for her soul and takes her to hell and uses her essentially to grow Hellboy and, and, and you get these little things like well but the whole but during that it's like he's literally writing a letter to a correspondence to Abe back at the department I'm like who who thinks of like I'm gonna make this into a form of a letter like Hellboy's gonna say hey I found about the most traumatic part of my life and I'm gonna write it to you in a letter Abe here you go here's this and I'm just like. What are you doing, man? But it's it works, like you said. But it just works so well the way he does it, and that whole the whole series. If you get into any more of that stuff, any more of the later on later on the series, like you get into the stuff like the the wild hunt and uh, when he kind of goes on his uh, walkabout in Africa. I think the stuff where Hellboy kind of when he leaves the B Part D because spoilers. If you guys haven't read this yet, you know it's been around out for a little while, but. If you later on when he leaves the BPRD and he starts to go and do his walkabout in Africa, it is just so he does so many of those comics. So many of the comics have like little to no words in them, but he still is able to maintain that like goofiness a little bit. Like there's this one part where he he uh, runs into an old like seer 
uh, guy in the middle of like the Sahara like in Kenya or something like that. And the guy is like, he just stands there. He's sitting there like staring at Hellboy and Hellboy's like, uh, and it's just like, that's all he says is, uh, and it's just <laughs> like, and they just keep staring at each other for like two frames or two pa- panels. And then he's just like, the guy's like, will you sleep? And he's like, I guess. And it's just like, that's all he puts in there. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, are you being lazy with the writing? But it's still funny at the same time. But the whole, the whole series is like that. And I, I really, like, I highly recommend if you get time around like that to, to try and check it out. Or even like, is that I, I always recommend people going to like their pu- local, local public libraries. I don't know how, how, if you guys have, or your guys' public libraries are open or if you can go pick stuff up. But a lot of times you can pick up stuff from there. But that's, that's what I love about the whole series is that kind of, I'm, I know I'm, I'm just, I just took about five minutes of talking here and exp- <laughs> uh, it's, it's fun to hear people when they're, when they really get excited and really get into something, which is, I think, unless, unless you have uh, a little bit more, you want to say about the first two movies, maybe no, no, no. To we, can, go, we can kick right into let's, let, let's bring the excitement down. Let me, let me put my <laughs> boots on so I can start kicking. So, um, <laughs> so we're going to focus a little bit more on that, that, third uh hellboy movie which was actually um it came out in two, it came out last year oh wow i thought it was a it feels like a light years ago i know it came out I, it was, it's like a, almost exactly a year right like a year next month or something about about a year ago yeah it came out in december because it got pushed back a little bit because okay so <laughs> between it, it was originally slated to come out for summertime i think it was last year but I remember from what I remember reading, they had so many direct. They had, they had, they've had, they had two different directors on the movie, correct? Yes. They had uh, three different writers come and go. Yeah, and, o- and only one remains credited. His name is um, Andrew Cosby, and you might know him as yeah. the founder of Boom Comics. Yeah, yeah, and I I remember. So Boom is actually now it's an imprint of Marvel, I believe. I think now. so. Yeah, I think they they own them now, but. But what really strikes me from what I remember reading is that I don't know if it was because Mignola wanted to take a step back from trying to write a screenplay, but he has almost little to no, you know, involvement in this film other than being there to say, you know, put it, you know, give them the thumbs up and say, hey, I'm, I'm good with whatever you guys have. I'm not. Even if he does that, it didn't seem like he could really object to anything. So there's there's another writer on it. Um, his name is Christopher Golden. Uh, he's, he's uncredited. Uh, I've looked through his career. He's first of all, um, I don't know what this guy's secret to writing so much is, but I have almost never seen a writer who's only in his early fifties that has like nine multiple book fantasy series is going. Good God. He works like, if you want to look up the Wikipedia, just to look up his bibliography, this guy is insanely prolific. And I kind of wonder if this uncredited sort of mention that he gets is because he took it in a different direction and people didn't like that again christopher golden christopher golden okay because i'm just curious now because it's 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 one of those things that's like you you kind of have to see it to believe it sometimes uh christopher golden Golden. yeah okay american author okay there we go uh yeah 53 let's see let's see what wikipedia has for us here holy shit (laughs) you weren't kidding dude he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And then on top of that, anthologies and comics and a holy mother of God, dude. Yeah, this guy works a ton. But kind of looking at this movie and and looking about where it comes from, right? Like it's clearly 
it's a smashing in so much of Mignola's work just kind of together with weird through lines between. I, so, it doesn't yeah. seem like there's actually like a lot of original work here. No. So it, it's, so they try to take a lot of things. So they take a huge thing of, so I, let me, let me explain it. I'm going to cut it out and I will try and describe the film in the form of, the parts of the Hellboy storyline that they, they throw in here. So they, like you said, we've kind of talked this up a little bit earlier. They, they try to throw in the uh, uh, darkness calls, uh, the wild hunt. They try to throw in the fury. They try to throw in um, uh, the Baba Yaga stuff, which is kind of, you can even almost say that it was bef- <laughs> technically, that it's kind came of all up. over, right? It's yeah, kind of it, all it's over just, the series. It's just, it's just all over the series, and it just and it, it kind of to me, it was almost a disservice to him. Like you could have taken, you you can take the best parts of Hellboy and still make a great film, but if they would have just said, "Hey, you know, we're gonna make this," let's see how it goes. Kind of like they did in 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 the first two films, because. Initially, they were planning on doing a trilogy. You can tell with that cliffhanger. Really wish they had, man. Re- like that is like for all the uh, projects that Del Toro has departed and not made, The Hobbit included. That one is the one I wish that he had done nothing else. If he could have only done the third Hellboy, if he could have only finished his story, because his and, and Mignola's story, really, because they were they're like buddies. And it's oh, yeah. such a shame because they were queuing up to do the the, the Among Unrama, the, the end of the world stuff, yeah. the apocalypse. Where's the where, like? Where is all of that instead of what this is, which is a weird conglomeration? It's like it's trying to skip over an origin movie, and a middle movie, and an end movie, and just like do it all at once. And you go, well, you yeah. can't do an hour forty five, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, no, maybe in like maybe if you go Lord of the Rings era, you know, it's like and do three hours, you maybe could put it in there. But it's like you said, it's like even they couldn't do it. They had to do three separate movies that are like two and a half hours long yeah. so it's just like you can't you can't you just can't do it but it's it's, it's like you said it, it it's it's such a such a disservice to it doesn't matter what ip you were to try to do it for anything that has this amount of uh, of backstory and just mythology behind it essentially you can't you can't push it into into an hour 45 and and like i said it, it just it just really disheartened me. I loved the parts they showed. Yes. Like I loved, I loved seeing like Baba Yaga. Oh, oh that, I, loved- I, I really want to get into that. There's so I, when you wanted to kick the shit out of this movie, I totally agree. There's so much wrong with it, but I, I isolated three scenes that I think are better are all, as good as the other two movies. Right. Okay. Okay. So number one I have down is um, the wild hunt with the giant sequence. Yeah. That sequence is, I remember almost waking up when I was watching the movie going, Whoa, what's this? What are we doing here? This is cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the scope of the giants. I've never seen a giant where I felt like it was big, but killable, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then the second one was definitely the Baba Yaga scene and how that was a moment where they embraced the practical effects, right? And making this as weird and bizarre. And they have the, the stretchy, bendy person, whoever it is inside that costume, like the the, the bending over backwards yeah. and crawling towards Hellboy. Wow. And the the the, uh, the stew anyway, insane stuff. And then the third one was the um, the hell unleashed sequence at the end of the movie, where they literally open the gates and hell comes out. That was like that again. I woke up and I said, "Where's this movie been?" 
this is if you're going to tell me this is a, a hard R Hellboy, I want this thing. <laughs> exactly. And it's a, it's kind of like you're saying yourself, you're sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, it's there's so many lulls. And like they said, it's like you said, they just try to, I think, as opposed to what Del Toro and Magnola do, they try to explain so much the amount of dialogue in this film you you know as well as i do that's what put me to sleep about it. i'm like that's not how they story tell these two they don't they don't tell a story like this they don't because i sit there for i'm sitting there and it's just later just like back and forth back and forth back and forth like constantly with with with, with the dialogue between hellboy and whatever character they have and i'm just like man i'm like you know don't get me wrong it's just like you you can put that in there but have a little punching in there or at least pace it a little bit better or something like that. You no, know, but, it, but instead it's like opening scene. We're going to crush you with exposition and voiceover just like yeah. right from the start smush. And you, you're kind of going, okay, so there's a, there's Nimue and then they're cut her up and Oh, we got King Arthur. We're doing King Arthur. Okay. And Mer- Merlin's here. Okay. Merlin, we got these and then scatter her betrayed tree blood. Hellboy. Oh, what? <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah, really. Why, what do those connect? Yes. <laughs> Which, if you read the comics, he does a great job at connecting all of it all together. And I don't want to spoil anything at all for you because I know you're you're still going to read it. But sure. he does a really good job at connecting that Arthurian legend with Hellboy, and they they do it. He does an excellent job with it. But like, why he's able to? Because Nimue actually plays a very important role in the death of Hellboy in the in the series. Because I'm, I'm, I don't know if you knew that or not. I knew Sorry. that. I knew that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like he, they, they, they play. They, they, he does a really excellent job of doing that, and, and he, he, that because that whole like the whole like I'm gonna say the last three or four years. Say darkness called. Let me look and make sure. So like yeah, it's like the last four, five years. About well, the last four years of the Hellboy series. It's literally it's just all Arthurian legend. And how Hellboy is entangled in that, and Nimue, and how it's going to bring about the, the end of the world, and he has to make that decision. And they, they, they try to do that in this film, and they just fuck it up royally, yes. in my opinion. Yes, I and think it so. just it drives me, it drove me insane to see. You could see the framework is there, and you can see that they tried, and they were like, "Man, let's." But you can tell, like, either a producer or somebody came in and was just like. This needs to be one movie. This doesn't need to be more than two because I need to make my money back. And I'm just like, <sighs> and there's, there's famous, there's like some famous behind the scenes drama with, with Neil Marshall and Neil Marshall's yeah. a very talented director. He's, he's yeah. supremely talented. And I think hasn't really gotten his shot. Um, I mean, but he always makes very visually distinctive, very exciting movies like, like doomsday or the descent, you know, um, yeah. two I want to pick out. He had one to come out this year. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but he, he just has such a good eye. He knows how to move stories. He knows how to scare you and he knows how to thrill you too. And so watching this, I think with those three sequences, that's re- where I really remembered that it's Neil Marshall doing this, yeah. but there's so many stories about like him clashing with the producers, him clashing with David Harbor, then David Harbor clashing with the producers. And then like multiple assistants having to sign like NDAs. So no one can talk about what happened. Yeah. And Marshall didn't have final cut over the movie either. And in the end, like when you finally see the, this is a, it doesn't matter if we spoil this fucking movie, but the end of it <laughs> where you see uh, it's the BPRD and it's him and it's, it's the Jaguar dude. And then it's the mystic lady. And then they go and it's Abe Sapien. <gasps> and you go, well, if you're going to introduce Abe Sapien, why, why wasn't he here instead of these other two people? I don't care about these yeah, other like two people. 
Yeah, you're taking you're taking like if you look at the comics, it's like Abe Sapin is literally Hellboy's best friend yes. in the series from the start. From the start, and in, and he even says that like like you know, you look if you read some of the stuff, he's the only one between him and Liz. Those are the only two people that he you know, like even when he goes on his walkabout that he consistently corresponds with, but nobody else he has contact with because he's pissed off at the, the organization and like that after Broomhole dies. And it's just like, why would you do that, man? And if because, you're going to say something like that, it's just like, because what, what, what they, what they bring in to replace him. Right. So we have, we have da- Damio, right. Who, yeah. you know, I, I do kind of remember a little bit from the comics. I don't think he's, I don't think he's bad here. Uh, I think he's a little flat, but it's an interesting character. Yeah. But then, uh, the the character played by Sasha Lane, and I think Sasha Lane's a very talented actress. I mean, she was in American Honey, and she's really great in that. But then to be in this, this character only comes across as as shrill and helpless and annoying. And yes. I, I think that's just a really dis- like it feels very lip servicey for like there was just all this stuff where Ed Screen, who's the bad guy in Deadpool, turned down the role of Damio because he's a Japanese American, and Ed Screen's a, a German guy or a white guy, and he's like, yeah. yeah I- I shouldn't do that. You know, that's someone else. And the movie's like, okay, great. We're just going to have the actual ethnicity people playing ethnic parts. Perfect. Except that you write the characters like shit. So it doesn't yeah. matter who plays it. It's a bad character. Well, that's and- why I tell people, some of these guys, you know, work there, like they get all up in arms with this stuff. I was like, well, it doesn't matter if, if it's, you're like, Hey, this is an Asian American person or a black American person or a black person. or whoever. It is. If it's a shit character, who wants to, it doesn't matter who you put into it. It doesn't matter if it's supposed to be a certain ethnicity, it's going to be a shit character and, and, and it's going to make for a bad movie. In my opinion, if, you and if you're, if you're going to like put this emphasis upon making sure ethnicities are correct, then you should also put the same uh, importance upon writing a good character for that actor to play. And exactly. it only comes across as insulting and lazy otherwise and that's what it felt like i the, i was only ever annoyed by sasha lane's character and i was annoyed that i couldn't watch a great actress play a great part that's what was really annoying to me instead i had to be subjected to oh uh she, was, she reminded me of like psyduck in pokemon just like oh uh, my head hurts <laughs> You're like, no, my head hurts from watching the film. so it's just, and it just drives you up the wall yeah no i get it man completely and, and it's like talking about that you said like the 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 actor that played uh uh damio uh he he in the film, in the comics, he's supposed to be um, uh, Spanish, or I guess you would say maybe uh, Mexican. I believe I don't remember exactly what it was, I don't but he's either. he's definitely got that Latino uh, uh, vibe behind him because that's what they go they go down to uh, Peru or basically Amazon to look for you know some artifacts or whatever or they're going in there and he gets attacked by a were jaguar from like an ancient the ancient Mayan culture that's been there for years that's where he gets his powers and that's why he's a were jaguar now that's why his face is all fucked up right but and it's just like why would you like why wouldn't you just put like a latino guy in there and because that's it just made more sense to me because it's like how many were jaguars do you know that are are like (laughs) that's like it all makes sense like magnola thought this stuff out why wouldn't you take it from the source material it, it's, it's it's all there and the panels are beautifully illustrated the there's always a, a great perspective on the characters like yeah. like a lot of people trash watchmen when it came out the movie for being well it's just a frame by frame and you're like yeah because the frames were perfect so if you're upset that the movie yeah. did the perfect thing you should maybe question whether or not the movie needs to exist but if you're making something like hellboy you know which has a very limited color scheme and a very simple kind of polygonal shapes for the characters it's mm-hmm. beautiful but it's a very specific art style and it carries over to all of mignola's work so i could really see there being a 
uh, not an improvement, but a different take from a film perspective. And that's what like Del Toro does. He gives you this beautiful myth- mythological fairy tale atmosphere. And then for this one, all of a sudden we have all this like weird, dirty garage rock. We've got we got all this hardcore like doom metal. We got we got yeah. people vomiting specters out of their mouths for like, like extended like, periods. I'm like, I feel like I'm I'm in a in a in a, in a, in a, in a it's not Scott Snyder, a Zack Snyder film yeah. almost. It's just like let's put a cross here yes <laughs> and some heavy metal over here i'm just like <sighs> is it is this what is it is this sucker punch again you know like what yeah, are we doing oh god don't get me started <laughs> that. It's, it's, that was awful but anyways um it, it just it's just it's i feel like they really could have done a lot of different things but like you said it did have those few moments in there that really kind of made me just sit up and take notice and say i kind of like this film it was enjoyable i'm glad i didn't i didn't go to the theater to go i didn't because i watched it at home i, I think same, i rented same. it on amazon or something like that but the best I, time i, I had with it is like i watched it with a buddy to prep for this podcast i watched it for a second time because i yeah. wanted to remember it and i watched it with my with my buddy jude and he came over and he lay on the couch and i lay on my couch and we watched it and we laughed and we were like yeah kill it woo blood woo and it was over and he's <laughs> yeah. like that wasn't very good i said no <laughs> wasn't i had a fun time though (laughs) you know i had a bag of popcorn you know i was good i'm good that's exactly how i feel nowadays and it's almost like you kind of have to have something like nowadays if it's not like if i'm not in the mood for something it's like i don't know how you are but it's like if i don't have the time to set aside for 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 a film or something like that i want to make sure i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna like it and if i don't like it in the first 30 minutes nowadays i'm like eh, i turned off because either my kids around run around screaming and i can't watch it anyways or my wife needs me to do something it's just like you just kind of have to throw your hands up and just like, yeah, I have, what do I have time for nowadays? <laughs> your, your time's valuable and you want to make sure that, you know, you know, I'll always watch these things. I'll always watch uh, superhero comic book stuff because in, in, at my heart, I'm a nerd, but it doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy it while I'm watching it. And I actually feel like more resentment towards the film if it's not good because it knows yes. I'm going to watch it. And the least it could do is at least make sure I had a good time, you know, and, yeah. and I could feel good about the thing that I love. And I, yeah. I feel like I got one of those with this new Hellboy movie. And like like you're saying, the disappointment that I feel is is great because it kind of makes me feel like I'm never going to see this again. You know, it's never going to come no. back. This, no, this kills no. it. But like even even with uh, Ron Perlman, who plays Hellboy in, in the first two ones, he, he he even said he's like, I'm all for it. I, I would do it. He's like, you know, it just it literally comes down to financing. That's what they've come down to. And I think, unfortunately, like you're saying, I, I think this last movie did so poorly. Like, I don't even think they got their money back that it's squashed any, I, any, any thoughts in any, any producer's minds of trying to do a Hellboy movie in the next five years. By that time, Ron Perlman's going to be almost 80 probably. Yeah. He's and an old like, guy. Who, yeah. Who the hell wants to make a action movie when they're 80? I yeah, unless you're Arnold Schwarzenegger's spouse for Sloan. Well, I mean, no, it's, no, no. Harrison Ford is going to try next year, guy. <laughs> don't get me started. Don't even start with me. I, I don't want to talk about the bathtub or the bath or the the fridge scene ever again. It's just, <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, he's so. Sometimes you just got to say, hey, it's okay, and just go smoke your weed and have a good time and just <laughs> chill out and not fly planes anymore. So, yes, so. exactly. Calm down, dude. Uh, no, I, I, it, it really that's that's really what I walk away from is it wasn't I wasn't angry that I watched a mediocre movie. I wasn't angry that it wasn't a continuation of the movies that I loved. I was angry because I may never get to see this character yeah. on screen again. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I mean, I was kind of hoping, you know, that's it, maybe at some point, maybe they just said, like you said, maybe they'll do like a uh, uh, maybe an animated show or 
and they can get Ron Perlman to voice it. I mean, if that's that would be, I would be totally okay with that. Sure. They can get all the original actors or to come back and just do the voices for him, anything like that. I would be a hundred percent because they can get. Um, oh, who was the lady that did the actress that did um, uh, Liz Sherman? Selma Blair. Selma Blair, because I know she doesn't do a lot more because she's got uh, muscular dystrophy now. Yeah, she does. It's, it's actually so pretty she sad. So she doesn't have a, she doesn't do a lot of, but I mean, that way she could do some voiceover stuff or some of these folks that are getting a little older, like Pearlman, they could still do uh, some voiceover stuff and maybe Magnolia can have a hand in maybe doing some of the storyboards and things like that. I mean, I mean, how, how expensive could these things be to make? I mean, I watched, you know, Blood and Iron and, and Sword of Storms, so I had to look down at my notes to make sure I said that mm-hmm. right. Um, <laughs> you know, the animation isn't fantastic, but it really gets across the feeling of the comic and I think that Ron Perlman's voice is really what we love from Hellboy because because I mean, David Harbour, he, he's got the right physique. He's got everything down, yep. except he doesn't sound right. The voice is a little off. Exactly. You could, tell, you could tell that he tried and he watched. He probably watched these two movies, the first two movies, like over and over again to try to get that Perlman kind of feel to it. But unless you're smoking cigars on a regular basis, and, and, and I know I'm, he probably had some other hard life stuff because Perlman seems like he's all, almost kind of like a Dan, Danny Trejo kind of guy. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. A little bit of a rough, rough up, upbringing. But he just doesn't have that kind of like deeper, kind of like raspier voice almost. There's, there's, a, there's a gravel, right, inside of yeah. Ron Perlman's voice. And like, just watching the animated show again, just the the you don't need him to say anything ex- other except crap <laughs> like, <that's> it. <laughs> uh, not again like like you just got hit by a, a eldritch terror why are you saying not again it's exactly. like, oh whatever okay you know but it's 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 one of those things like you can hope for those things i don't ever expect them to come out but you know maybe it'll happen someday and, and it's like i said i can i can hope and i can and, and dream a little bit but at least this way i know magnolia is still making uh some of the comics he's doing like he just did a christmas special uh this last year but he's pretty much said that he's done with the hellboy character like the actual like main storyline as far as i can tell um because he actually like finished that in which is why i recommend if anybody hasn't read the bpr series uh it's called the uh bprd uh, hell on earth um and they actually he actually concludes hellboy's storyline in that and he does it it's, it's interesting. It's not with a bang. It's with a whimper a little bit. And, I, and unfortunately, like you said, it's that's, that's, that's how I think a lot of people's lives end. you know, it's not like this big explosion of things that happen. You're going to, you're going to die on your, in your bed or die on the toilet. You know, it's just the way it is. You know, I hate to break it down a little bit, but it, it, it's, it's poignant, but at the same time, it, it shows that it, it kind of does a thing as like, Hey, even though I'm not having this grand finale, I still did something with my life, you know, and I made my decisions, which is that's the whole tenet behind Hellboy is like, is do I do I have this fatalism? Do I have to be this this machine that starts the end of the apocalypse that brings about the apocalypse for the end of the world? Or am I going to say basically, fuck you guys, I'm going to do what I want because it's my life and I'm going to enjoy it how I want to do it. And, And he he really he nailed it. He just, he, it, it was, it was perfect. I know a lot of people were kind of, some people were a little bit eh, about it, but I loved it. So well, I, I, mean, I really, I, that makes me really excited to read it. Cause I too often, you know, when you conclude an arc, when you conclude a character, like, or especially, you know, for talk about the big two, right. You get these, these writers on and they'll, they'll have to end their run, their time with the character, but the character still lives on without them. 
And it's really interesting because there, there are very few creator-owned comics that gain this kind of recognition, that gain this kind of worldwide love that end. You know, I mean, like things like, like somebody like Robert Kirkman, right? That Walking Dead series just went on for, so, I mean, I have three of the compendiums and I, I died at the first, the beginning of the third one. I just couldn't keep going. I couldn't yeah, keep reading. I, I, I got the first one. I'm just like, I don't know if I can, I might, I might, I might put a gun in my mouth if I keep reading. This <laughs> they're anymore. really hard and they're really depressing. But it's, it's funny when you ask, you know, it, I think it's new territory too for a creator owned comic to do this. Cause I think probably our most famous examples would be somebody like, um, like uh, Charles Schultz ending Peanuts or something yeah. like uh, what's his name? Um, who ended who's who Garfield? Uh, Forget his name. Not, Jim, not Jim, Jim Davis, right? Jim, Jim Davis. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say Dave Stewart, I go, but that's, that's an artist on Hellboy. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> but it's like, those ones are really sterling examples where, you know, they're, they're very ordinary stories and they end in a very ordinary, beautiful way. And that I, I'm always attracted to that. And people might find them underwhelming or irritating, but that's just how you end. A, I think that's just how you have to end something. It's been decades long. Yeah. Not everything has to be like a, going back to the Avengers movies a little bit. Not everything has to be Thanos snapping his fingers or the you turning back time to save the world and bringing everybody back. It, it like I said, it could be calm and quiet, and and even though everything else is burning around you, like they do in the comic, it's it's soft and simple, and it's and it's an easy it's an easy end. It's not a like an explosion of of, of color and everything else, but it's it's like i said I, I i truly do envy you reading these for the first time <laughs> once you get to them because i remember i sat there and i i i I'll, i admit i literally i sat down and i just i felt a sigh of relief and it, like a little some tears a little bit because i'm like nice. this is the end of this character and i'm like even though i know he's 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 made all these little bitty one shots he's a little bitty like be a hellboy in the bprd 19 74 and these little shots of like you know uh investigations that he want on the character is even when he's done when he finally gets done with those the character is done it's not he's not going on anymore and it's kind of like losing a friend almost a little yeah. bit yeah but it's and it's i don't know maybe it's cheesy or something like that but because he's not even real but no i don't i don't think it's cheesy at all i i was just looking over my shoulder at uh at some of the stuff that i have and i i've definitely felt that that sense of loss you know especially with comics where you spend so much more time reading them than you would uh, a, a series of novels. I mean, with the exception of something like like The Wheel of Time or oh. um, The Dark Tower or something like that, where they're long and you spend a long time reading them. You know, most most novels, most movies, you know, you're done with them with a few hours of investment. And with comics, you know, it really is years, you know, actual years of your life that you're spending, you know, with this person, when a new issue comes out, a new trade, a new this, a new that. And when the character is finally over, there is that almost like a sense of loss. I think that's really the power of comics is that ability to sink you in because you're being engaged through your through not only like reading text, but through seeing beautiful visuals and forming that emotional commitment and attachment to that. And when it's taken away from you, uh, it's almost like grief. And I think that's that's the true power and the true love um, that that goes into comics to the creators and, and people like us who are fans. And that's why there's so much rage when it's not done well. You know, how dare you treat my friend like deservedly, this? <laughs> deservedly. It's just, yeah, it's just like, you're not going to spit in my friend's face and, yeah. you know, or you're not going to pee in their porridge and make them eat it. It's just like, it's you can't do that to me. So, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's one of those things. It's just like, I, I, I love this stuff so much and I just, I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can. And luckily, like I said, I have these big books and I'm, it was funny. You, I bring that up today. I'm sitting up there reading, reading this and my, my kids eating dinner 
And I'm of course I'm on nights, and so my my schedule's all jacked up. I'm not eating there. I'm sitting there reading him, and he gets down after the, we get him off the off out of his high chair, and he comes over, just sits down, and he literally just started looking at the pictures with me, and I was just like, I'm like I'm explaining things to him, and he's just look looking around, just and, and just soaking it all, and I'm like, this will be yours one day, young sir. <laughs> and, you too, and you too can rage and cry over it and, and be in fear. <laughs> you know, and have horrible nightmares about these kinds of things. That's 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 what I kind of hope. You know, like I said, I don't know if you do that with your little girl or not, but it's it's one of those things. She's like, you, I want to, I want to pull them into that a little bit, and hopefully one day can kind of pass it down a little bit. And and, and like you said, we're circling back, kind of like you said, it, 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 it just like with your movies and your podcasts. I want to I want to create something for my kids to be able to to watch, and that's that's life, right? It <laughs> it's is just like what and are we going to pass on to our kids? So, and that, that's like one of the most exciting things, uh, with our show. And then, you know, even, even in your show, what you're doing, uh, indirectly is that you're, you're with your episodes, you're creating a bank catalog, you're creating a bank, you know, of things that matter to you, things that were important to you. And so you can look back on all that work, uh, as your son gets older and older and you can show him these different things. You can show him crash. You can show him dragon ball Z. You can show him all this stuff that, you know, was meant a lot to you as a kid. And, and I'm doing that with my daughter a little bit. Um, she's, uh, I had this the complete Calvin and Hobbes, you know, Bill Watterson stuff. Oh. I had the, this big slip case and it cost me, I don't want to tell you how much, um, it cost me a lot of money. You're yeah. like my kidney, my, my kidney, my missing kidney hurts exactly, right now. Exactly. So. Uh, and I'm, I'm saving up the other kidney for when I buy the complete far side, but um, uh, you don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I, I had them on my shelf and I really jealously guarded them because they were so expensive and these beautiful yeah. coffee table editions. And my daughter one day was climbing around downstairs and she pulled one out and she was just riveted. And it used to be the rule was she had to put it back when she was done. But eventually all of them made their way up and all of them <laughs> made their way into her room. And I will find her sitting on her bed, just leafing through Calvin and Hobbes. And at, what, what's this? Who's that? What's this? And it's like, this is the gateway. This is how it starts. Why is that snowman cut in half? Exactly. My, daddy. <laughs> exactly. my favorite ones of those of all time. The, 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 what are they called? The snowman house of horrors. Yes. <laughs> what are they sled going through it? Where, oh where they like, the parents walk up and they're like, do we need to get our kid into therapy? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. But, you know, it's, he's got to talk an imaginary tiger with him. That's the least of your problems right now with the exactly. snowman. So, but, but yeah, that's, that's the kind of things I love. But anyway, like I said, I know we've kind of you know, made a big, you know, circle around back to everything. But Vito, like I said, I want to, I want to say thank you especially for coming in and i know we had some technical difficulties but you know, thanks for helping me push through it and things like that and uh and really really just coming in and 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 sharing this love that we had for it. i would love to have you back on a little bit later you know probably later on when we have a little more time and maybe we can kind of go over some more stuff maybe maybe we can go over something other than uh uh comic books maybe we can maybe go into real life maybe a little bit who knows that'd be great that'd be great and i i just want to say you know david thank you so much for for having me on it was it was a real blast if uh if people want to check out uh, our show it's uh, not your father's movies um you can find us spotify itunes podbean castbox like literally if if there's a place people find podcasts you can find it there um and then email us if you have anything you want to talk about not your father's movies at gmail.com and uh yeah, it was just a, a joy to be with you here, David. Talk about Hellboy. Awesome, thank you. And like I said, I'm going to plug him too. So he does. They just did a, a episode on uh, top top uh, IP of uh, 2020, uh, or was it? Yeah, you did 2020. Top, top five movies of 2020. Yeah, that's what it was. I couldn't remember what it was, but yeah, I started to watch it a little bit. I listened to it a little bit, and of course, last night got busy. So <laughs> that's how it always is. So. No worries. 
but yeah, but seriously, guys, go check them out over at uh, Not Your Father's Movies. It's 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 phenomenal. Um, and hopefully, like I said, uh, you might hear me over there, you know, shooting the breeze with them at some point. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, hopefully, we're gonna have Vito. Maybe some of his friends will come over and, and shoot the bull with us later. So be great, Again, Vito. Thanks for having me. We're gonna we're gonna cut out, guys. And like I said, if you guys have any questions at all, um, hit us up at Seriously Pointless Conversation. Sorry, Seriously Pointless Convo at gmail.com. I have so many freaking messages and things in my brain right now about all these Twitter handles and things like that. Trying to remember it all. I'm sure you <laughs> can't exactly what I'm talking about. So, but again, guys, thanks for stopping by. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe on our, our channel and things like that. And we will uh, hopefully be back next week. I think um, we're going to try and do our own top 20, uh, our top uh, uh, 10 uh, IP from 2020. James and I, I think we're going to have Kelly come in a little bit. Maybe my, maybe Jackie will come in and join us. But uh, oh, maybe I look forward to that one. That'd be great. Yeah, we're, we're going to try and do that. I don't know how well it's going to go because we have a we have a little bit more of a wide scope than just movies. So, <laughs> because I know we've got anime and all this other stuff and books and things like that. We were kind of uh, dipping our toe into it a little bit last week, but uh, without going too much in that. But um I don't want to ruin anything for anybody coming up. But again, uh, thanks for coming by and guys, thanks for stopping in and listening. And hopefully we will see you guys next week. All right, guys, have a good day. Bye. Bye, Vito. If you're interested in keeping up to date with new episodes on our channel, add us on any of your favorite podcasting apps or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Seriously Pointless Conversations. If you have questions or concerns, please email us at seriouslypointlessconvo at gmail.com. We appreciate any feedback. Thank you for listening to our show.